Hello and welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto. Guys, I am Alicia Chapman and it has been a very long time since I have been behind this mic. If you are an OG listener, you may remember me interviewing some of our favorite guests. But both Pav and Tommy are out for the count this week. So we thought, what a good way to spend your time in the current market than really understanding and leveling up your technical analysis skills. So we are replaying an episode that Pav did a little while ago that talks about how you can combine on-chain metrics with technical analysis and real-world data to give you an edge and perhaps even predict what's happening in the market. So let's dive in. Welcome back to the podcast, Pav Hundle. We've got you on a different kind of episode this week. I'm back. I'm here. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> so good. So we thought after crypto catch-ups, everybody's loving them so much. We're getting so many incredible questions through relating to what you and Tommy break down every fortnight. And so we thought, let's dive a little deeper for those that are hearing some terms that perhaps they don't actually understand just yet, or they're quickly Googling every time you talk about it. We thought we'd unpack a little bit more and share a little bit more insight into how you do your research, which is a little different to anything we've spoken about on the pod before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, keen to chat more. I guess it's always good to see what people have uh, any questions that they're wanting to ask. So yeah, 100% very keen to dive into this one. I've been excited for this episode. So let's do it. Amazing. So your style of analysis, I feel is a little bit different to the full technical analysis that we spoke about with Tanil back in episode 10. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, like I definitely lean a lot on technicals. But for me, you know, there's a few, I guess, sentiment sort of indicators that are quite useful uh, that when you can marry them up to, I guess, what's happening on a technical basis, it can start to, I guess, really give you just some sort of temperature check on, you know, where we're going or where we might be going. I guess the way to sort of frame it is the technicals might offer the frame of an opportunity like the window, but um, when you can marry that up to you know what's happening sentiment-wise, it just makes it even more powerful, I guess. It's more almost like an odds enhancer, I guess it's another way to sort of frame it as well. So yeah. And I think right now we're both recording this podcast and the market has taken a little bit of a hit maybe a massive hit right now. And so I think that's when this comes into play even more. You know, if you're just looking at and relying on technical, with the volatility in crypto, it can be really hard. Like those charts can look exactly how you think they're going to go. And you think it's all in an upward trend or a downward trend. And then because of the volatility, something happens completely unpredictably. And so having that bit more insight is really useful. So what sort of things do you look at when you're doing your research? Yeah, there's definitely a few things, but there's always the go-tos, like the stuff that, you know, you check every morning, the same way you check your portfolio. There's there's a few, um, I guess, handy tools that you can access for free as well. It's not like this costs you anything to sort of access. So the fear and greed index is one that some people might have seen, I guess, from the stock market as well, that there's definitely ones in the crypto space. So just a quick Google of, you know, Bitcoin fear and greed index is all you need to do. And what that is essentially is a aggregator of just sentiment. So it's pulling it in from multiple sources and giving you like an index value. So for example, if it's sitting at a, a range from zero to 20, uh, the market's acting with extreme fear. So I don't know, everyone likes to talk about what whales do and what institutions do and etc. Unfortunately, they strike when the opportunity is hot and when the opportunity is hot is when everyone's running for the hills. So that's usually your fear sort of bracket, I guess you could say. And obviously, the other end is greed. So when you get to those sort of 80 to 100 values, that's when you start to see the market flooded with all these good news articles. You know, you hear your favorite 
rapper or artist talking about it on the radio about their crypto portfolio. You'll see a Tracy Grimshaw in a current affair doing a plug on crypto as well. Like, you know, these are the sort of moments where everyone's comfortable, everyone's feeling good. And that's when everyone's also willing to, I guess, go a bit more full tilt with their investments as well and be less likely to take profit. And, you know, we see it in crypto as well as, I guess, really small uh, market cap investments like stocks as well. So can be handy, I guess, in that way for both when you're looking for, you know, opportunities to buy and opportunities to sell as well. Just a good temperature check, I guess, overall on where the market's sort of sitting. And I'd like to kind of preface this discussion because if you're doing something like dollar cost averaging, which we know a lot of our listeners do, this fear and greed index, it's probably something that would be interesting to keep an eye on. But when you're dollar cost averaging, like the pure drive behind that is to take the emotion out of it. So would you say it's as useful if you are doing a strategy like that? It all comes down to what are you looking to get out of even looking at a chart, I guess, at the end of the day. Because if, like you said, if, you, if your strategy is dollar cost averaging, you know, you're looking at a long time horizon. You're not really too worried about what it's going to do tomorrow, the next day, next month, maybe even the next year. You could be having enough, you know, looking to just set, sit this money away for five or so years. But there are also, you know, caveats to dollar cost averaging. Obviously, everyone's got their own strategy, but another style of dollar cost averaging is to also, when, you know, something like a fear and greed index or oscillator or indicator is on a swing down, you know, you start to maybe be a bit more aggressive in your dollar cost averaging strategy. So you might look to just increase how much you're putting in during these periods where you could argue that the market's acting at a bit of a discount. So that's, I guess, a way you could maybe find something like the fear and greed index to be handy, even if you have a dollar cost averaging strategy. Yeah, just ramping it up. And I think like one of the quotes that I've always lived by with all of my investing, not just crypto, is Warren Buffett's quote. And I think everyone will know this. And it's always around, you know, being fearful when there is greed and be greedy mm. when there is fear. Yeah. And right now, you know, if crypto does go for a big swing up, we're seeing some pretty low prices, as you said, just discounting or on sale. <laughs> yes. So if you pick up Bitcoin right now and it swings back up to where it was or even higher, which, you know, a, a lot of experts in the industry are predicting still long-term Play, we are going to end up much higher than we've ever been before. Taking that kind of into account is perhaps a very good strategy right now. 100%. And I guess the only thing I'd add to what I, what I said before as well, the same way you might look at increasing your dollar cost averaging when something like a fear and greed index is on a swing low, you can also reduce how much you're putting into the market when it's acting in that higher range too. So when the market's greedy, that's when you might want to take the risk off the table, you know, taking profit or, you know, even if you're not taking profit because you have got that long-term sort of strategy, that's when you might just stop dollar cost averaging, for example. There's, there's a lot you can do with it, really. And um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Warren Buffett and that the little catchphrase that definitely been going around for quite some time now, but it it's definitely holds true, right? Like it's, it's, it's just how the world works. Definitely. Something else that we talk about in crypto catch-ups all the time is what the institutions are doing and what the whales are doing. And there's some really cool ways you can find out this information. It's not as difficult as it might sound. Can you walk through how you keep a pulse on that or how you find out what's going on? Yeah. So there's a website called Glassnode. So there's plenty of them around right now. But if you just do a Google search for on-chain metrics... You can see the price of Bitcoin, for example, and what it's doing over time. But with what we've called on-chain metrics, you can actually see how many new people have come into the crypto space just to the way, I guess, blockchain technology works. It allows you to really investigate what's actually happening across the crypto space. So, you know, you can see how many new wallets were created. You can see how many new accounts now hold over X amount of Bitcoin. 
all that sort of stuff. So you can see, I guess, what I would say is a real useful one when it comes to on-chain metrics is a little one called net exchange flow. So that mm-hmm. might sound a bit complicated, but essentially it just gives you a visual graphic on people buying crypto and taking it off exchanges or are they sending it to exchanges? So generally speaking, when people are sending it to exchanges, they're looking to sell it. So it's generally a little bit of a sign that everyone's taking a bit of profit. But when there's more being taken off exchanges, it's generally a good sign that people are accumulating. So especially when you see those massive, massive differences between the two, that's when you really get a good taste of what the sentiment currently is in the market space. So marry that up again with something like the fear and greed index and maybe a little bit of technical analysis. And that's when you really start to paint the broader picture. And that's definitely how I like to approach a lot of what the markets are doing. Yeah. Do you combine all of this with, I guess, like news articles and what high profile people are doing in the space and talking about as well to get your general feel for what's going on? Definitely the feel, I think, is a good word there. I wouldn't say it sort of influences too many decisions. I think it's a really good experiment for anyone that wants to sort of go back and and look at what they've read and seen and marry it up to what's the full picture. Because you often find, like we've already said, when there's all these good news articles, it's usually when those metrics are running towards the sign of this can't go for too much longer. It's about to keel over, which is what we've seen in November and you know May. And also at the same time, you can really start to backtrack and look at or what was being said when the markets were doing that little accumulation phase before it went back up again. So you can kind of, I guess, go back and you know have a look at what did all those sort of news articles generally feel like. And that's really interesting to do that. I think it's a really good way to learn as well, like to try Absolutely. and practice what you're yeah. learning and apply it. Something yeah. that I'm obsessed with, and I have no idea why, I just always look at it and I love it, is the, the they call it the Bitcoin rich list. And it's just the aggregate of accounts that hold over a certain amount of Bitcoin in it. Yeah, nice. And the craziest thing is there's just over 7,000 accounts across the world that have more than 10 million US dollars of Bitcoin. Like that's a, that's a lot. Like the world is a big place, but that's a lot of Bitcoin to be holding in one wallet or one place. Oh, that's yeah, crazy, right? What would you do with that? <laughs> well, have a great time. Yeah, because we'll be really sad right now. That's what you'd be doing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, it's wild. Yeah. For those who haven't heard you on the pod before, you do work at SwiftX and you are one of the high value account managers there, which is incredible. You work with all of the people that are doing this day in, day out and really kind of riding that crypto wave. What about you personally? Are there any projects or industries, I guess, that you're really interested in, even when the market's like this now? Yeah, it's a good question. I think me personally... It, you do start to see a good, I guess, check into what looks like a, a more reasonable long-term investment, I guess. Uh, people tend to move away from the this is hot, jump on it sort of way of thinking and, and look more towards, I guess, what's the sustainable potential solution. So obviously, everyone's been seeing what Facebook's rebranding's been going through. It's still happening. It's not like they've pulled the pin on that. So that whole metaverse narrative is still well and truly going. So Definitely, personally, I've been watching a few of those metaverse items. A couple of big ones there. You've got Sandbox. Uh, you've got Axie Infinity. Uh, even, I guess, some of the smaller ones like Gala. That's been showing some good traction just with their communities. And I guess on top of that same theme, all of these projects, they need somewhere to run and operate. So they need their own blockchain solution. So uh, for me personally, it's also looking into those layer one, layer two solutions as well. So you've got your Solana, you've got your Avalanche. Near Protocol has been doing really well lately. And it, it's really indicative too. Like we've seen the markets go down and we've been talking about this on the crypto catch-ups too. But these blockchain layer one, layer two solutions, they've really been bucking the trend. So, um, you know, near protocol, I think last time 
was up about 60%. I think everything's down right now, but you know, even through periods where the market overall is a bit indecisive, a lot of these assets are showing strength. So that's always a good thing to do in your research when you're doing it. Definitely. And I think it's really interesting. If you're hearing the terms layer one, layer two, and you're like, wait, Pav, what are you talking about? We do have an episode in a couple of weeks that is going to explain that all for you. But it's so interesting seeing, I guess, even Web3 and seeing how that's still got so much momentum right now. You know, as you said, like it might be that the market is taking a dive, but the tech is still going. These roadmaps are still being built. These people still have funds to be able to create these incredible projects and new tech for us. And just because the market's taken a tank doesn't mean that those projects go away, as you've just said. So I think that's really good to hang on to. If you are a bit iffy right now about what's going on, just think about whether that real world usage and adoption is something that you believe in. And if you do, it doesn't really matter what the price does. That's it. Like moments in time like this let you look back and reflect as to why did I buy something? And if you can't unpack it and make sense of it, you know, you obviously hopefully at least learn from it and you, you don't do that again as best as you can. But we're all human at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. Now, Pav, we're going to pivot into some Q&A, which I'm super excited about because these are questions that I personally have a few of them myself and I think will be really good to unpack. So they are kind of a broad bunch of questions, but they are things that our community would love to hear from you. And I'm going to start with one because we've just mentioned it all throughout this episode. When you're talking about crypto, people will refer to it as tokens, projects, coins, assets, and there's so many different names. And they aren't all interchangeable. So what's the difference? Yeah, it's one of these things. It's splitting hairs, right? But it is confusing, again, to the person that's just getting started. But the easiest way I could really, I guess, break that one down. So a coin is essentially similar to what just touched on a bit earlier. It's the infrastructure of that asset on that blockchain. So, you know, Ethereum is the coin on the Ethereum network. So it, it's, I guess, the, the asset of governance across that network. But within the Ethereum ecosystem, you'd have other cryptocurrencies that are built on the Ethereum blockchain. So they would be referred to as tokens. So for example, you've got Aave, Curve, just to name two that are currently just at the top of my head. So they'd be considered tokens on the Ethereum network, but Ethereum would be the coin that governs that network, I guess. So again, not really a terminology that matters too much. You don't really need to know that in any way, shape or form, but uh, that's, I guess, a roundabout way of how that sort of naming sort of comes about. Yeah, and I think because everyone's learning, right? Like there's not really many people in the world right now that know this inside and out. And so when you're explaining it to people or teaching them for the first time, you want to make sure that you're using those right terms. And as you said, it doesn't really matter. Now, something else that came up after our DeFi episode was when people have altcoins and they've done their due diligence, they know it's not a scam, they're 100% in, there's no red flags, and then they try to put in an order to sell. Why is it that sometimes that just won't go through? Even though there's no red flags, there's no reason that it shouldn't be doing it, it just won't work. Really, really good question. I think this is one that everyone should be across. It's really not crypto specific, to be honest. But for you to buy or sell any asset, there needs to be someone else on the other side of the trade. So a lot of people think when they, let's say, buy Bitcoin on an exchange like SwiftX, that you're buying it off SwiftX. In reality, SwiftX is just the intermediary party. So there's always got to be someone else willing to sell it to you at the price that you're willing to buy it at for that trade to execute. So Obviously, with that in mind, something like Bitcoin, which is traded millions of times per minute, you know, there's not really going to be an issue of finding someone who's willing to buy and sell it and 
obviously find someone on the other side that's going to be willing to buy or sell it as well. But when you move into these lower cap coins, there's really not that much trading activity. So you might set up a sell or a buy, but it may not fill, I guess, as readily. And it might also occur at a price outside of what you're expecting. And that, again, is what we refer to as spread. And that basically just because of the illiquidity. Um, it's just because the person that's willing to buy or sell it doesn't want to meet quite exactly where you're wanting to meet. But essentially, if you're really wanting to execute at, at a market price, it's going to just sort of creep your price up or down more than you thought. So that's another thing to really, I guess, pay attention to as well. So yeah, that's a yeah, really good question. Mm-hmm. And the next question is all about Web 3.0. And we do have an episode on this as well. So if you're not across it, don't stress. We'll explain it all and give you everything you need to know. But at a really high level, why do you think this is an area that people are starting to move their attention to now? I think just, I guess, a lot of what we're seeing in our day-to-day culture, as much as people, once again, don't know Web 3 is, we can just backtrack, right? So Web 1 was essentially the internet way, way back before probably most of us remember. Uh, It was read-only. So what that means is you couldn't actually post anything on the internet, believe it or not, at one stage. Uh, So then came the advent of Web 2. So that's kind of what we're sort of, I guess, living through at the moment. So for example, you can jump on Facebook or Twitter. You can basically upload something. And that's up there. You know, it's something someone else can read and sort of digest and etc. It also helps facilitate things like banking. So, you know, you can do that online banking, which you would never be able to do on Web 1. And I guess, you know, the context here is with Web 2, something like Twitter is a good one. Basically, Twitter could come along one day and delete your post because they don't believe it meets how they'd like to see their platform used, I guess. Whereas Web 3, you kind of lose that centralized control. So it's the same thing in terms of reading and writing. But instead of one person... I guess having an overall arching say in how everything goes, it's decentralized, right? So it's that magical word that everyone likes to use in blockchain and crypto. Um, it's a case of the community runs it as opposed to a single agency or company running it. So that's the most exciting thing, I guess, about Web3. It's more about communities and you know tech that is, again, just built on those communities, right? So that's where I guess you know Web3 is sort of going and the angle and the value proposition that it does have. And uh, yeah, I think it's really exciting. Definitely. And I think it's interesting because it's something that people are like, oh, Web3, this is a bit scary. Like it's something new, but so many of us are using it already. Like there's so much already built Mm. on Web3 that we are using if you're buying and selling crypto. So um, really interesting to unpack that one and can't wait, but definitely it makes so much sense. You know, people just want that ownership. They want to be able to control what is actually on the internet and what stays on the internet. So super, super excited for that one. Now, the last thing that we're going to go through in our Q&A is some terms. So there are some terms that we've said either on episodes or people have just seen on Twitter or Reddit or somewhere and they're like, oh my God, what do these mean? Now, we've done a whole heap of this in episode one. We also went through quite a few of them in our DeFi episode. So the ones we have today, uh, there's only a couple, but we haven't explained them on the pod just yet. So the first one is diamond hands. (laughs) Yep. The old diamond hands. Yes, the diamond hands basically refers to never selling. So another one is, I guess, holding or hodling. So it's just basically saying you're not wanting to offload whatever crypto or whatever stock it is, essentially, because you got diamond hands. Love it. Love those diamond hands. Not paper hands, which is the opposite. 
I have diamond hands, maybe just because I'm too lazy. But uh, well, I, I think I definitely fall in that same category. So, yeah. <laughs> so good. The flip of that one is catching knives. Can you? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I think actually we said that on the last catch up. So catching a knife is exactly that. So you're seeing a market tanking and you're trying to pick the absolute bottom. So it never ends well, as you can imagine. So. I guess that really just illustrates um, what you're trying to do. Yeah, that's that's basically what that one is. For sure. The next one is FUD. F-U-D, if you have seen it on Reddit or wherever you're getting your crypto information. Yep. What does FUD mean? FUD is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So basically just bad news, I guess you could say in a nutshell. Yeah, mm. good one. Lots of people spreading FUD at the moment. Yeah, it's a real FUD machine out there. And yeah, great segue into when you should be looking into, yeah, like your fear and greed indexes and looking at on-chain metrics. You know, what does a FUD really mean? Yeah, it's a good one. I love that. And the last one, which is very fun, and you did also mention this last episode as well, is the flippening. Yeah, the flippening. So flippening is, it can be anything, but it's essentially one asset overtaking another in market cap. So the main flippening that everyone's waiting to see is if, if Ethereum basically will overthrow Bitcoin and, and take spot number one. So that's what the flippening is. But yeah, another pretty common flippening is a lot of those layer one, layer twos, they're kind of fighting for market cap as well. So they're all flipping each other as well. But um, yeah, that's what that one is. The race to be the biggest and the best. That's it. And you are pretty bullish on Ethereum. Do you think this is still a thing? Do you think this is going to happen in our lifetimes or the next few years? <laughs> oh, geez. I want to say maybe. Nah, I can't sit on the fence <laughs> with this one. I, I got to say yes or no, right? <laughs> so insightful, Tab. Uh, look, let's just say yes, because why not? Um, yeah, I just think at some stage, obviously, everyone's waiting to see this ETH 2.0, the Serenity up- upgrade come. You know, with that's going to come a lot of hype. Just the way that ETH as a token has, I guess, sort of roadmapped itself, it's becoming more and more in demand. And even the the way that the token sort of works currently. Every time you make a, a trade or use the Ethereum network, some of it actually gets destroyed. So you're creating more supply shock. Yeah, there's always a chance. And I think it'd be just one of those things. It could be a prophecy, right? It's going to be interesting to see when it does happen. You heard it here first, guys. We'll, we'll bring back this episode. Yeah, a lot of um, Bitcoin maxis may or may not like that. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see, right? I think it'd be quite the event. You just touched on ETH 2.0 and the upgrade that's coming. We spoke about that in our original episode. So where's that now? For someone who hasn't followed it, what's going on now and, and where is that at? For no real changes, to be completely honest. ETH fees are still ridiculous if you do try and use the network. The general, I guess, movement of what's happening with ETH and, I guess, the 2.0 upgrade, you basically have to lock away your Ethereum to be a part of that change when it does happen. And you do earn a return on that. So you can learn more about that by just visiting the, the official Ethereum website or their Twitter page. But I guess what, what's happening there is as more Ethereum is being locked away, you can't trade it, right? So there's less and less Ethereum out there as time progresses. And as I mentioned before, every time a swap or a trade is made on the Ethereum network, a little bit gets destroyed. So you know, there's two elements there that they've obviously thought this out quite well. Over time, there's going to be less and less available until they make that shift over. So yeah, it's going to be a real interesting one to watch. And you know, with what we've seen historically as well, when Bitcoin does recover, Ethereum is the next one to follow. So there'd be the you know obviously if Ethereum starts to show a bit of strength, you know that's when you might start to see some strength in a lot of the altcoins as well. So it does kind of lead the way, lead the charge, if you will. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting next twelve months, I think. And gas fees, so ETH fees, yes. or if you if you have used them, you might know them as gas. They are killing me. 
Yeah. Um, obviously playing around in the metaverse and, and getting a few different things that I haven't explored with before. And oh my God, like the fees are ridiculous. So yeah. for someone who maybe hasn't ventured that far and have no idea when we talk about gas fees and what they are, can you explain that at a really high level? Yeah. So I think everyone's heard of mining or crypto mining to some degree. So what it is like, you know, if I want to send you money, Alicia, via these blockchain networks, there's always got to be someone in the middle that verifies that the transaction occurred. So that person's called a miner and you pay that miner gas. So essentially part of your transaction goes to them a percentage. So depending on how congested it is, uh, how difficult it is to do that security check, I guess you could call it, or a confirmation check that the transaction occurred, sort of dictates the price of those fees. So to give the, the listener, I guess, a bit of an idea, you know, if we rewind the clock, maybe a year and a half ago, it was about $20, $30, which is still quite steep. These days, it can cost you anywhere from $60 to $120 plus, depending mm-hmm. on the time of day and the transaction cost. And that marries really nicely into, I guess, when that sort of Web3 episode does come out, it does fix that problem by creating other options. So I think that's the ticket when it comes to this whole sort of blockchain ecosystem and how it's going to work. It's not going to be, I guess, all congested on one network. You want to hopefully see everything sort of spread out and working together to help keep the fees reasonable for everyone. For sure. Now, Pav, it is a crazy time right now. People are are running scared. They're feeling nervous when they're looking at their wallets or opening up to see what's happening every single day. Do you have any words of wisdom? There's been amazing ones scattered throughout. Is there anything you'd like to end with for our listeners? Uh, Definitely blood in the streets. And usually when it gets to a point where everyone's packing it in, tends to be usually where it turns around. So I would just say now's a great time to work out how invested you really are, both emotionally and financially. So might be a great time to just switch off. I know that's what I'm personally doing, just taking a bit of a break from everything, spending some time with the family, going back and doing some other hobbies. But it's also a good time, once again, like if you're up at night thinking about this, you've put way too much in. There's no dark mode that's going to make you sleep a bit easier if you've got too much invested. So really have a look at how much risk you put in. And also just a good time just to reevaluate what you've invested in and did you take profits adequately? Like everyone sort of says it until you've sort of lived through these, you know, 60 to 90% dips that some people are experiencing, which is not nice to ever go through. You don't really realize how volatile the crypto markets are until you see that downside. So yeah, my personal advice is just to take stock. And if you, you know, you are looking to re-enter, sort of looking at how you did it previously, was it good? Do you need to change it up? You need to go to more of a dollar cost average style strategy and just become less emotional. That's what, what's good to do right now, potentially. And I think all of our seasoned traders who've been through 2017 and, and all the times before that are like, oh, it's, it's all right. Yeah. This is just <laughs> what happens. We're just seeing the pattern. Yeah. That's, that's, I think even going through that May crash, I mean, if you live through that, that's you know pretty standard for a correction. And yeah, I think that's all that changes with time. You just become less and less emotional. And what that sort of does is help steady your hand, make a few more better judgment calls potentially, uh, not trying to catch the knife, not giving into the FUD, as we like to say, keeping those either diamond hands or succumbing to the paper hands. It's, um, yeah, you just learn a little bit more about yourself, which is cool. That's, you know, who doesn't like that? You just need to weave the flippening in there and uh, yeah. all of our terms added in yeah. a sentence, which I love. So, guys, you should be able to understand what Pav just yeah. said now. It shouldn't sound like a complete <laughs> other language. 
And I think this all comes back to like Dr. Aaron Lane, who we had on the pod a few weeks ago, he spoke about this as well. This is mm-hmm. normal. This is what happens to happen in a market to clear out things yep. that perhaps don't have that future growth potential. So again, as you just said, Pav, great time to take stock and see, does the projects that I've invested in or the things that I have bought, do they have that long-term potential? And if not, well, great learning experience for you. 100%. Like, you know, get real involved. Like, jump on their Twitter, jump in their Telegrams, Discords, whatever. Just see what are they talking about? Like, you know, are they looking at what they can do better or are they all complaining? You know, that kind of gives you a good temperature check on just the project as a whole uh, that you can spring clean. The spring clean. I love this. (laughs) Amazing. Just a bit more bloody. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more painful for some people. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Well, Pav, it's been epic getting inside your brain a little bit and sharing a little bit more. Now, everyone will be able to hear you on our crypto catch-up. So, guys, if you've loved today, Pav and Tommy usually do fortnightly episodes, and we've got a few special guests coming up this year who will be joining the team to give us all the insights into what's actually happening now in the market. So if you love today, let us know. If you do have any questions that we haven't covered and you'd love to know a little bit more, again, let us know. Jump over to Instagram at Tapping Into Crypto and slide into our DMs. Let us know what you want us to unpack and that's what we're here for. 100%. Those are some good ones in there. I actually quite enjoyed that. I want to see more people. Come on. Yes, we love it. We do all of this for you. So anything you want to see, let us know. And Pav, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure and everyone will be hearing from you very soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 